You guys are going to enjoy this episode today. My guest is Kari Nixon. She is a professor and postdoctoral fellow, postdoctoral lady, but I believe they say fellow everywhere. She's also an author and public speaker. More than that, and what you're going to see today is that she is an advocate for fomenting change, positive change in society, specifically in European society, but I believe it, it's applicable for lessons to be learned in the greater society of the world, the Western world especially. So check this out. I hope you guys enjoy it. This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And welcome everybody to this episode of Coming Home with John Allen. I'm sitting here with Kari Nixon. Hello, thank Finally. you for having me. You came from from far and wide to be here. Yeah, I suppose one could say <laughs> I came from Trondheim. Yeah, but uh, it's about a six seven hour drive. Yes, and and we talked about this. We waited to have a time where I could actually yes. come in the studio because an organic conversation is so much yes, nicer. Yes, and that's very important to me. When at all when at all possible, I would love for my guests to be here. I like to host them for real. I like I them just, to yeah. And, I think it's cozy. It's here. it's lovely. There's nothing like a face to face conversation. And the right person just lifts the atmosphere, mm. and you're doing that. So thank you. Well, I feel like whenever we've talked, like we can't stop talking, right? So well, then yeah. we're just like, okay, we have to just make this happen now. Let's Come just make on, make it happen. Yeah. Mm. But I, you know, the world's burning down. And, <laughs> can we and have I just, our cup of coffee and peace <laughs> while the world burns? Yeah. And I just can I just have one thing, and let that not be mistaken for the fact that I don't care that the world is burning down. I think I care maybe too deeply i have a lot of like distress about the way the world is really? right now do you really and so i don't want to you know be but then there's times where i'm like i just gotta i just gotta have my cup of coffee so that i can keep fighting well, another day let me ask you this i saw a, a reel that you did i just mm. saw it this morning actually really just a few minutes before you came um like i told you uh, i i purposely stopped yes watching your social media yes. because i wanted to get to know you here um, and I do that in general with my guests. I, when I'm first curious, I let them know, I invite them, and then I stop. Mm. And I let that unveiling of who they are and what kind yeah. of, a, what kind of a, a symbiotic dialogue are we going to have, I let that unfold mm. as organically as possible. But I did take a, take a smooth tit, a sneak look, a sneak peek at mm. one of your um, reels. And, and this goes to what you said about uh, having a little anxiety about the way things are going on in the world. This reel was from a, I believe it was from a Carpe Diem concert that mm. you were at. And they were talking about, it was like a film at the beginning of the concert. And they were talking about how, yeah, see, there's that reaction, that that mm. deep felt. Let, let me just tell the, the, the viewers and yes, listeners about yes. it. And <clears throat> it was a film, a short film, with uh, the narrator talking about how they as immigrants grew up actually writing official letters for their parents, translating for their parents, taking a rather adult role in the functionality of their family life mm. as children because their parents as immigrants had language problems, maybe, yeah. you know, other issues with yeah. adjusting to society. So you care about that kind of stuff, but did you post that because you're worried about that situation with integration, with mm. acceptance, with adjusting to Norwegian life? Or did you post it as a motivational message? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's two different angles 
to approach I, something like that. To, there's two different ways to have that type of engagement from a position of extreme worry or from a position of extreme hope. Or There's yeah. also, of course, variations. There's middle ground. Where the, do you approach it? This is like exactly nope. what I want to be talking about right now, actually, because um, I'm, I'm a decent host. <laughs> in it, <laughs> Since we last talked, I've been developing um, a European Research Council grant which is um, as an American beautiful work, by the way, what the... To, 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 to be interested in doing something like that, oh, to even, even, you know, I don't even know how far you've come. I don't know what kind of work you've done, but that work in itself is yeah. very important and it's beautiful. And it takes a important, uh, um, my, it's it, the, the mindset to do those type of things. It's not common. So already thumbs up Thank already. You. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah. And uh... So as an American, I've had to learn what a European Research Council grant is. But it's, mm. I think for an American, we would say it's kind of on par with getting like a Guggenheim. Like, yeah. I don't know what a Guggenheim is. I just know that it's fancy Sounds pants. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working on this grant. And and what I want to do, they, they encourage you to just suggest the most radical research that you think. Yeah. And I want to study, like, how do we make change? I want to study this. Is it when we post things from a place of worry? Mm -hmm. Is it when we post it from a place of hope? And there's research on this. There's research on when hope and worry motivates in the right way. But but sort of it's a situation in academia where the right hand is not talking to the left hand. We have these scholars and, and I'm a professor for for just context. We have these scholars that are doing amazing work, but academics tend to work on their research and and then they get published to other academics. Is that what we're getting at? I don't know if they have blinders as much as they live in the ivory tower. And I decided years ago. They have their focus and and they are the expert. And Mm. it's not that they disrespect people who have a, in other words, the approach from a position of worry or from a position of hope. It's not that they disrespect each other, but there's blinders in that. Maybe they do disrespect. I don't know. What, do what, you, own... Maybe you can just explain that, what it's like in that world of academia when there are yeah. people working in the same field, but they have different viewpoints. Yeah, or or I think maybe sometimes they don't even know, you know, I'm a sociologist working on hope and you're an anthropologist working on worry. And do the they right know the other exists? The left is doing. Yes. That. And so we have we have the answers to fix climate change and migration crises and pandemic outbreak, which has been my bread and butter research for years now, although I'm moving into the other two arenas. Um, and we have the good intentions. People want to do something yes, about it. And it's not happening. And that's what I'm trying to write this grant on is to study like both like to bring together these research areas. Yes. To make them talk to each other, but then also to study like when has change worked well and when hasn't it? Um, yeah. I want to get to this uh, Carpe thing. That's really important to me because I'm actually writing them into my grant. And I, that's actually wow, beautiful, huge, I think, to lift them up to the the stage of being part of a grant like the ERC grant. Hearing you say that explains a few things about you. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that when we well, talk about it. The, the one thing I did want to say is like um, most professors, I think, don't question the ivory tower. Hmm. They get into this field for some reason or another. And I think this is across disciplines. I've been in three different disciplines now. I started in clinical psychology with statistical analysis, got my PhD in literary analysis. Now I'm in a design institute. 
so I've seen academics at different levels and I think they end up just getting down. That's where I would say they get blinders. They just get down their path and they stop thinking about why they got into it. But for my part, I was always a very bright child. And then uh, a lot of stuff happened, but I would say one of the biggest things is that my parents became homeless when I went to college, university. Oh, And that meant that outside of the dorms, oh yeah, outside of the dorms, I was homeless as well. So like everybody else is packing up for Easter break, has to get out. I don't have a place to go really. So, you know, I don't ever want to over, over exaggerate the matter. I wasn't living under a bridge, but I do think we need to understand different levels. Thank you. And we don't really have that spectrum down in our society that homeless means most homeless people are not actually under bridges. There's a huge variety of like yes. living with yes. somebody's on somebody's couch. And yeah. so for me in, in America, um, many people even in America don't know this, but uh, a PhD, if you get one is funded, you are, you get free tuition and then you get a salary. Right. And I always felt, I think from the perspective that I came from, that it was such a privilege to be in a way gifted this education, that it would be deeply unethical of me to use that gift that the universe gave me for nothing. Like I've always resisted the ivory tower. It's made it difficult sometimes for me to be employable. That's not how the ivory tower works. Right, right. Um, But I've stayed committed to it because I, yeah. So I think that's why I have the perspective I have. Maybe I'll let you jump in here, and then and then I want to make sure we get back to the Cock Bay thing. Well, well, not to jump in, but just to give you uh, yet another compliment. You said so many things that tell me that you're very grounded. In other words, you know where you came from. You know what your struggle has been, and you appreciate the lessons learned along the way. What deeper life lessons? I mean, there are deeper life lessons, but what a deep life lesson to learn just from being homeless. There's so much. I mean, that means a lot. There's different levels to it. And, 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 and of course you learn on the way emotionally, how do you handle that? Because that isn't an emotional blow Mm. to know, yeah, you know, to get that reminder when you see your, your fellow students packing up to go where home, Yeah, where are you packing up to go to on Mm. Christmas break, Thanksgiving Mm. break and and this, that, the other. There's a, there's a burden that comes with Mm. that. And I put things in a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a competitive power lifter. So I, I use that analogy of carrying a load. The heavier the load you carry, the stronger you get. Mm. Now, of course, there are things such as, you know, mental and emotional trauma, physical trauma can get in the way of, of, of a person's development. In other words, carrying that load can also be damaging. Right. But if you, if you're gifted, mm. if the universe lines up right, you end up carrying that load and it will make you stronger in some fashion. It'll do something with your resolve. Now, here you are in a situation as a professor, you have to have resolve. In other words, you have to prove something Mm. in order to get your work done. It's a matter of resolve, of focus, of discipline. How has your, or how did your journey, you know, through your times of hardship sculpt you to better be able to do the work that you're doing now? 
for example, working on this grant. You are a very good host. Ah, thank you. I um, love, well, I love what I do, and people like you make it easy, so thank you, and right back at you. I, and sometimes I think it's borderline um, something I can't shut off in a way. So, like, there's ah. times in my life that I, I think, like, okay, this is not always um, a superpower, I suppose, or, or superpower can have a dark side. But, um, sure. no, I think um, – this is something I talk a lot about on my social media channels. So maybe it's too deep and dark too fast, but here we go. So I'm a survivor of Munchausen by proxy, uh-huh. which if people, do you want to explain? No, go ahead. I know what it is, but tell, tell you, our viewers. I want to hear listeners. somebody else explain it for once. I'm always um, telling people what it Munchausen is. Munchausen by proxy, and I'm going to talk in very untechnical terms. I'm just going to explain it as I know, as I know it to be. Uh, let's say, for example, you have a mother who, uh, uh, may not even be sick, but she thinks she uh, is is uh, uh, sick, and she reflects that sickness onto her child. Yep. Um, so, and her it, child is not sick. Her child's not autistic, but she'll run her child through a barrage of testing yep. to find out if she's autistic, and maybe even, and I'll put this in air quotes, succeed yep. in getting a, a diagnosis of diagnosis of autism or ADHD or whatever on their child. And it's almost like some sort of relief for the mother to yep. actually have succeeded in that. It means a lot to me that you know what it is. Ah, uh, thank you. Many, many people. Well, I'm a curious don't. man. So that is one of the things in the course of my adult life that I've kind of looked into. Mm. Yep. My abuse did not look like what people see in like Netflix dramas. And so I get on a huge soapbox of trying to show the world that, like homelessness, this exists on a spectrum. Yes. Um, so, you know, one might call what happened to me mild on the mm -hmm. spectrum. But in spite of that, so my, I, I think sort of the worst thing that happened to me probably is that I was on, from the ages of 15 to 17, I was on 80 milligrams of morphine daily. Good and Lord. I weighed 40 kilograms. Good Lord. So, you know mild right yeah. and I have had a lot to unpack sure. I, I mean I almost there was a point that I was wow. almost on disability in the middle of grad school for anxiety because I was so non-functional and it makes me for instance passionate about the fact that if so quote-unquote little happened <clears throat> to me yeah and I somehow managed to like overcome and be an author and a professor and all these things that are unusual outcomes from adversity, then I know there are so many people that need help that have had quote unquote worse. I don't like to compare trauma, but no, have but had more and nobody knows we're out here. Right. Nobody knows we exist because right. Hulu makes it look one way. Right. Mm. You know, I, I, I can identify with that uh, because, you know, there is a spectrum of trauma. Mm. Um, uh, you know, people experience homelessness in different ways and the results of that homelessness show up in their lives in different ways. Oh. Uh, same thing. I can do that. Uh, you know, both you and I are immigrants here in Norway. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a black immigrant mm. in, in Norway. And there are spectrums to the difficulty of integration. For some people, it's simple. Yeah. For some people, it is a lifelong struggle that they never accomplish. That's a great example. I mean, I tried to... <clears throat> 
as a white woman and no less an American, right? Because there's inter-European racism yes. against Eastern yes. Europe. Yes. And Norwegians love America specifically. They love it more than Canada. They oh, love I've it seen the dirty looks because they assume I'm whatever they assume yes. I am. But as soon as they find out I'm from the USA, yes. it's almost like a, a figurative wipe of the forehead. And, whew, okay, yes. he's okay. Yes. So I try to stay to very say thank you for that. You yeah, is, I, is it, is it, is it? I try to stay aware every day yeah. about how easy it's been for me as a white American woman. And I came here fluent in Norwegian. So they love, you know, that makes you, yeah. you know, they like that, you know, they're cool. Sure. So, you know, I know I, I have a dear friend here who's Korean American. She was, I think she moved to America when she was three. So yeah. she grew up in America, yeah. but she says the same thing. She says, I don't even try to speak Norwegian after 13 years here, <laughs> because if I speak Norwegian, they assume I'm from Asia, oh, I but see. if they hear my American accent, they want I see. my yeah. approval. Yeah. Typical. Yeah. I, I experienced something very similar. And we also have to think, um, you know, I can, <clears throat> when I compare myself to other black immigrants, African immigrants, for example, I have to acknowledge that I'm actually compared to them. In many cases, I'm in a position of privilege. Yes. Me having my educational background, my life experiences, uh, things that I have not had to experience in life. When I put all of that together and compare it to them, they may be coming from uh, a background of uh, uh, violence, you know, war, yes. um, uh, uh, genocide in some cases. Um a lower level of education. I'm, I, I have to com comparatively say that I'm in a position of privilege to them. And I think that that Absolutely. acknowledgement is important. For one, it keeps us humble. God, I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is my thing. Again, you cannot compare trauma because we all no. experience suffering fully. And yet, yes, I try to be aware that like, yeah, I had this shitty childhood, right? It was yeah. fucked up what happened to me and it harmed me okay that can be true and i can acknowledge that i have a lot of privilege i think that's i have a, a lot, lot of privilege that's what a lot of norwegians unfortunately um and also a lot of uh, uh white americans are missing that... you took the i was about to say that <laughs> Go ahead, say it please well this is what i think is missing in our society that we almost like as we got these sort of um a better understanding of extending sympathy and human rights to people that have been through yeah. bad things, yeah. there became, it's such a, I hate to say this, but it's such a colonizer mindset and colonization is in our bones in America. So we inherited it. Like there was just, instead of saying, okay, great, here's sympathy. Then people had to have their own yes. narrative of marginalization, which that's okay. We've all had our struggles, but yes. I try to be so super aware that my struggle in my perspective, the way I look at it is the fact that I didn't live a typical middle-class white American life allows me to peek behind the curtain a little bit yeah. at the depths of what can go wrong in a life yeah. and the depths of what have made it hard for other people yeah. while holding in awareness that I don't know the half yeah, of yeah. what other immigrants have been through, what mm. other abuse looks like. And that's but what you I think have we're a taste, missing. But you have a taste of it and you're, I don't know, what is that, kind-hearted enough to mm. know that that taste that you experienced, you know, at this level, yeah, maybe yeah. Maybe you, you can, you use that yes. as a way in yes. to do what? Sympathize, empathize. That's, that's what I, you're saying it so much better than me. Advocate for. Yes, well, I, talk, taste, I talk a lot, so I practice. No, 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 no this is like, the taste of it should be the entry yes. point for understanding, not Thank for making you. it about your journey. 
I was talking about uh, racism. Uh, uh, this the episode that I'm referring to is actually going to come out tomorrow. I don't know when this episode will mm. come out. Uh, but I was talking with a Norwegian guy who is a Trump supporter and 100% follower of the ideology of the current Republican Party, the MAGA movement. He's a 100% follower of that. I spoke with him about racism. Uh, and I feel comfortable talking behind his back in a way because he really meant what he said and he argued for it for two and a half hours. So I'm not I'm not doing him dirty by talking about this here. Everybody's going to see this. Uh, uh, I told him my experience with racism here in Norway. And his answer was, well, uh, how do you feel about a Trunder, you know, someone from Trundelag here in Norway who gets made fun of b b for their accent? And my answer was, well, that's a terrible thing to do. It's ignorant. But how does that compare to racism? Like, and he stood, is... he, he stood solid on that point, that shame on me for, uh, uh, for playing the victim role when Trunder Nein. don't, when people from Finnmark who, who can't get an apartment in Oslo because of their accent or because they're Samisk, my wife's people. And, and it's, it, yes, all of those things are terrible. And I can say that that's terrible. Yeah. Uh, and it would be okay if he says, well, I feel that they're on the same level. We could just disagree on that. But he took it further and says that I'm playing a victim. I, it's unnecessary for me to even talk about those things. I don't know how you stayed that, calm. The, oh, it was, well, because I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I don't understand the MAGA movement. Uh, how they can I mean, the cognitive dissonance is, is real. Uh, I, I don't understand how they can, I, I just don't understand how you can be that cold hearted, that hard hearted. Yeah. I don't understand how a person can be racist. Of course they are out there. And then this guy made me double curious because he's Norwegian. Why did he, and we know there's Norwegian, you know, you, yes. you see the rebel flag, yes. we see the, you know, the, the, the MAGA hats and, and paraphernalia and stuff. It's here in Norway. And that, fascinates me i think we talked uh, so about this to, a bit so, so that, i want to i want to try we have to try to understand yeah. the logics or we're so never going to fix any he's going to come back too i'm going to have him back he lives up uh, up in your area in Trondelag. and he but he travels uh so when he comes through also he's going to come through here again because i'm not finished trying to and it, it's not like i have a mission to understand him but i'm very it, to me it's very interesting and in a in a maybe it's in an ugly way, but it's it's this fascination with how someone here, yeah, can latch onto that ideology mm. there. So, so it, to me, it's about a lack of dialogue. I don't believe yeah. you can be a MAGA person and be aware of yes. what is happening to other people outside of your bubble. Definitely, and I think, or you think you're aware, so you make this narrative like well, it's for insular. It's insular awareness. You to know? take that example that he used is. And I've tried to say this to myself as well. I'm sure imperfectly as a white person, as a white person, I will never fully understand. And that's a key presence, um, a key tenant to say that we're never going to fully get it. Like that's a key part of allyship, I think. Yeah, it is. It is. But to, I try to say things would have likely been different for me if I had the childhood I had and a black or brown body. Yes. 
Yeah, like, I get it. I so get what you're saying. It doesn't mean that what happened to me wasn't bad. Right. It right. means that there were still things that were easier for me. But I want to say, I want to say this, um, and, and I've said this often to, to my black brothers and sisters out there, both here and back home, um, because some of us will see uh, a white It's usually a white woman who is an ally. I, was, I almost said wants to be an ally, but in fact is an ally and is doing the work and showing that they are an ally. But there are some black people who will just always, regardless, tell that white woman to be quiet and take a back seat. This mm. is our thing. I get that. Mm. But I also get that that is maybe a foolish move. Mm. I'll give you my example. When, uh, you know, and it's all running together. I can't remember if it was the protests after uh, George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or mm. whatever. But a few years ago, when all of the protests were at their height, mm -hmm. and I was sitting here in Norway watching Norwegian TV or watching online American news, and to see that most of the protesters, the most of the people marching were what? White. And that filled me with a lot of joy and a lot of hope. Mm. And I welcome that. Mm. But at the same time, there were a lot of black people in the movement uh, or black uh, uh, talking heads on the news who were telling white people to be quiet and take a back seat. I'm one of those people. Chris Rock said it very uh, uh, in a very funny way. But what he was getting at was something that's very um, uh, it, it's quite intelligent and it's and it's and it's quite true. Uh, he said in his funny way that there's not going to be an end till racism until white people decide that there's an end till racism to, to yeah. racism. And yeah. how does that happen? By more and more white people speaking out and actually not just not being racist, but being anti-racist. In other words, we need more active white allies. Yeah. So I welcome it. Yeah, I see both sides of it. And and again, I think although the grant I'm writing is not going to be about racial politics of that nature because it's a European grant. And but tell, I, tell us what it is, just so people know. Uh, the, the grant is is about how we make social change. And I, I'm going to focus on like three different crises. And that's where I latch in on it because the social change when it comes to racism in America, yes. to me, that is mostly in the hands yes. of white people. That's what I'm talking yes. about the allyship. No, I'm very fascinated with it. I don't think in Europe they have enough of an understanding of American racial history in their viscera. Yeah, they do. And so I can't really do that there. But it's, no. it's, it's the kind of thing that I'm wanting to think about. What is the way forward when it... Well, there is... No, let me... Let me let, yeah. There is a 200-year history of white women yeah. being the whistleblowers to cause yeah. black male death. Yeah. In many ways, the things I've read see that say that they fear white women more than white men. <laughs> yeah. And and so I get it. Like I get that there's a point at which it's like, and and we white people. I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to exclude myself. Like we can suck up all the air in the room. So, like, I, I get that the allyship can be wrong, but I do also see the conflict you're naming, and I have watched it, and I've sort of watched with the curiosity that is quiet yeah. and takes a backseat so that I don't suck up all the air in the room. But my curiosity is, how do we learn how to be good allies yeah. if we can't dialogue, if we well, can't ask that's questions? Key. That's key. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's I don't, why and I tell, you don't want to yeah. ask people for emotional labor because people don't want. So yeah, but the dialogue is key, and that's why I think that in America, the black people who tell white people to just be quiet, mm. I think they're doing a disservice to, to you know to the efforts that they actually want to mm. to, to 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 incorporate to leading to change in America. Mm. But I also think, and I, and I get it that your grant is a little different because it is European based, but I do believe that that situation in America with allyship and and how it should be incorporated i believe it's relatable oh, yes. here excuse me if we if we talk about uh, uh integration yes in in norway of course the immigrants here in norway be they white brown or black uh they are speaking out and they're doing their thing and of course they should lead the movement but is there going to be real and lasting change if uh. Ethnic white Norwegians do not mm. get more vocal and become more effective allies. Well, so this podcast episode is going in my grant now. <laughs> um, this is so natural the way it came back to the Karpe thing. And um, just mm. to remind everybody listening, you were mentioning the, the thing that got put up on the screen yeah. about their experience. Can I put of, a link to it so people yes, can? I'll put a link to it so in the amazing. episode. And they projected on the screen their experience as first generation Norwegians with immigrant parents doing this emotional labor for them. And and this is why I'm fascinated by what Karpe is doing, because Karpe, if uh, I'll just explain quickly, it's a rap duo in Norway, and one of them is half Egyptian, half Norwegian, and one of them has parents from the state of Gujarat in uh, India. They have been on the... They've been known since 2006. They had a very yeah. hit single and they got increasingly famous. And then once they were really solid in their fame, they started, they've always been kind of anti-capitalist. Yeah. They've always been, they've always been talking about being brown in Norway. Yeah. Always. From day one. From day one. But once they got really rock solid famous, they started incorporating sounds from their cultures into their music. As if, in my opinion, to say, and dare I say, I think they agree with me to an extent because mm-hmm. they've officially liked some of my reels where I've I break that, them. Yeah. I know, it makes me blush. Um, <laughs> I love it. So I think they don't think I'm totally wrong. Um, that I, I think there is a message to say that integration is bi-directional Norway and other majority cultures that yes. we have already affected your culture and shaped it with mm. our cultural background. So open your eyes and learn that this isn't a debate anymore about should we, shouldn't we be here? It's a, we've already changed you, you know, and, and you've changed us. And this is something more than the Norway of 50 years ago. I have some viewers on uh, a a thread of YouTube comments that will strongly disagree with that. They abhor the thought of us immigrants, especially black or brown immigrants changing the Norwegian culture. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what they're fighting against, right? Um, and I Which think- blows my mind. Uh, first of all, I always tell them, I, f- I think that your culture is so strong, so unique. How can a, a percentage of immigrants change that to something that is unrecognizable? All cultures change. Yes, yes. And they change because of what? Because of the people they're in. Well, and so if it's you going even- to change, but what's negative about it? What, what, is, what is so bad about Norwegian culture circa 2000 as opposed to 
2023. Yes. What is what has changed for the worse well, culture-wise? To your point, the the singer of Carpe, um, one of not singer, <clears throat> but the, one of the rappers, Shirog, who's from India. I mean, he's he's Indian and he's very will tell you about that, right? And that cultural background mm-hmm. is strong, of course. But in my American perspective, he's also so Norwegian. Absolutely. He doesn't like to single out individual fans, much to my American chagrin, because of <laughs> Jan Tilloven. Exactly. Like, that's not done. Thank you. Thank so it's you. like, as you say, like, the culture is so strong yes. here. And immigrants yes. don't just wipe out. We change. In as a, an <laughs> Indian immigrant, he is being more, much more, a, a billion times more affected by Norwegian culture than Norwegian culture Hell is being yes. affected by his. Thank you. And he is a doggone rap star in Norway, and yet still the Norwegian culture uh, 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 eclipses his Indian culture. Yeah, which I think is part of the, I mean, I've done this in some of my videos, that's part of the strife he raps about. Exactly. That's the immigrant experience. Exactly. They're not coming here to wipe something out. They're Amen. caught here between two cultures. Amen. And, and that's not necessarily, a, or it doesn't have to be a bad thing to be in between two cultures. I think what makes it a bad thing is the racist perception uh, of that immigrant influence. I think you're spot on. And so I've just, of course, I'm just a huge fan of Carpe. But um, I think one reason I'm a huge fan is that my best friends growing up, they're still my best friends since I was 12. One is Gujarati from yeah. the same state Shirag is from. And then the other is Pakistani, but she's Muslim. And the the Egyptian singer of Karpe, I believe, recently had sort of a a cultural, like, uh, not a cultural, he kind of converted to Islam, even though I think he was culturally raised that way. I want to say I saw something about that in social media a while yeah. ago. Yeah, I think yeah. spiritually yes. he's kind of yes. owned that lately. And so he's my, more practicing. Mostly. Yes. Yeah. And my best friend growing up, like, I mean, she remembers, like, we went through 9-11 together when she was the uh, only one wearing a hijab in my high school and, like, yeah, yeah. me like she said she remembered we did a live pulling apart the islamic lyrics in carpe and she said she remembered that we were the only family that came over with flowers and like tried to like protect their hearts as like and that's not to virtue signal myself it's really to virtue signal those two because as i've said by now i was abused and their mothers their families Mm -hmm. fed me yeah their families let me sleep there their families took care of me when my parents didn't. So I've always seen the beauty of these cultures yeah, yeah. and and used sort of the trauma that happened to me right. as an opening to understand um, sort of more difficult things people have been through. So when I see Karpe using their fame to then stop and do this almost performance art moment yeah. of this monologue on a screen that tries so hard to get into the heart of white Norwegians and say what we're saying here. Say it in a way that goes right to your heart and maybe gets past. I think art can do that. You're a musician. Art can get past the like sort of preconceived narrative you tell yourself. And this is what I want to study about them is like, how have they both, I mean, because they couldn't have done this if they weren't known at all. They had to build the fame. I want to study the whole trajectory of how they built upon the thing they had, the momentum they had, and then pivoted through the art, through the catchy lyrics of saying Allah, Allah, Uh getting a bunch of white girls to to scream Allah. (laughs) I mean, they're using the music and they're using the music to force the visceral recognition that you've already been changed by them. And then they put this on the screen. I, I think it totally is. And I saw, I just have to say this, 
I, I pushed my way up to the second row of that crowd in Carpe <laughs> where no woman my age should be and where no other woman my age was. I was surrounded oh, by 20 year olds. Yeah. I'm a very tiny person, but <laughs> it helps me move under elbows. And like That's true. people Kinda, were passing yeah. out and, and I'm, I'm very much, uh, you asked about how I've gotten drive to be where I am. I think I often think of myself like Hamilton in the musical, like I wrote my way out. Okay. I just worked and worked and worked and sometimes I can't stop. So I had a I little see. bit of a yeah. dark yeah. side yeah. where like people were passing out and I they would get lifted out of the crowd uh -huh. and then I would just take their spot <laughs> until I could get to the front. That is almost a literal depiction of survival of the fittest. Yeah. This is how bone. I survived childhood. <laughs> and here I am getting to the front of the mosh pit at Carte Bay at 37. Every person every black and brown person around me was weeping and yeah. holding each other when yeah. this came on yeah. and if they were as they often were there with a white friend their friend was weeping yeah. and i saw Carpe sharing with a crowd of twenty thousand what i had a unique ability to see through my n equals three growing up well that clip that reel that you put out there and i'm telling you people Look in the description of this episode. Doesn't matter if you're watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're watching or listening. Look in the description of this episode and you will see a link to this reel that we're talking mm. about. It's quite a moving moment. Mm. I'm so glad. It was hard to capture it in the uh, you, Instagram post, but you, like. You, it came through well on that reel. It, it grabbed me. It oh. really grabbed me. And, 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 and again, I think it says something about you and your dedication to fomenting change. Am I right when I say that that's maybe at the base of what you're doing? Yeah, you asked like what motivated yeah. me to post what is, it. What is that? Some of it is the curiosity to understand, right? How can yeah. we do this better? Yeah. How can we, because you- I don't like, think you can be a professor without being curious. N I hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> No, um, if some of it is like, I want to understand because as we were talking about earlier, we have the, inf I'm taking little video clips of myself oh. sometimes. Um, I'll give you, I always oh, thank chop, you, thank I'll you. I'm going to chop this up in the okay, clips. There's sorry. so many, and I do that because um, the things you're, there's so many things you're saying right here that grab me. And when I know it grabs me, I know it's going to grab, if it's just one person out of the thousands watching and listening, then that is a clip worth chopping up and putting out there oh. it's little inspirational moments so uh, continue keep on being you uh, um <laughs> yeah so i want to like like we were saying we have the research we know i'm sure I, I haven't delved deeply into this <sighs> aspect but i i know we have research about yes. what helps people be yes. less or more racist yeah and we care many of us care so why aren't we doing something and so i thought Carpe for is one is one of a few examples i will try to study in this project yeah. it's a really good example where you're taking one very sort of traditionally seen as homogenous society and they are making it do things it doesn't want to do yeah. so it's a great way that we should look at that i think so it's worth studying. It's worth seeing how did they do it. And you're and literally how... studying it. Yeah, I, I <laughs> hope so. It's, I think you're at the beginning of a great story. People are going to want to know what you found out. Mm. I want to know. I, I, I want to know too. Yeah. Because the answer is not here yet. I don't right. have a pre-existing hypothesis. Exactly. So it's, it's, uh, uh, so you're very curiosity driven. You don't have a preformed idea. You want to find. Yeah. And I think where I'm at in a design department right now, that's sort of what they do yeah. is they sort of just try to like look at everything from all the different disciplines and see how they connect and impact one another. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So I just, I, I think there's such a good example. Of course, there's other great examples. Sure. But yeah, that's why that, that video just like, I wanted to post it because the other thing I think is that I personally would like Carpe to be more known in the English speaking world. Because as you said, mm. we have parallel political issues in America. Absolutely. And we live now, when I was learning Norwegian in 1999, <laughs> I couldn't just use Google Translate. Right. I had to get my DeLillo's lyrics yeah. and a book. Mm. Like the kids today, they don't know these things glued together, pieces of paper. <laughs> I had to, like, these things weren't easy. But in this day and age, like, BTS is such a famous Korean band. Yeah. Everybody loves them. Yeah. They maybe don't know what the lyrics mean. This is the era where you can love a band, easily translate lyrics. Yeah get on board with the political message of the band. That's yeah. more, you know, acceptable now. So I just, I, I don't know the answer yet of fully how we do this. And so for right now, I just want to spam the world with the things I know that are working. Well, you're doing a good job uh, at it. Spamming uh, the world. Thank you. Thank well, you. Well, spamming. I've but always putting, said I would be a good mall kiosk well, cell phone salesman. <laughs> well, you know, spamming, that's, that's, I, I would I would rather say that you are putting your thoughts out there. Mm. Like I say, I've I've uh, I've deliberately stiff armed your social media, but mm. I do see it when it pops up. Mm. And you're putting a lot of little messages out there. You're very effective with the reels, and and I think that you know you you, you kind of said in passing that more needs to be done to foment the changes we're looking for. And I think you're doing it just by putting John, your thoughts out there. John. Well, uh, it's, it's you, Cardi. You're, 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 you're doing it. My goodness. I'm, um, a fun fact about me is that me receiving a compliment is like cramming a wrinkled dollar bill into a vending machine. So I don't know what to say now. Well, I'm going to smooth out those dollar bills and keep them coming. Cause I, wow. I'm, I'm an admirer of what you do and it's, and it's been, uh, yeah, it's been something of a struggle to not dive deeper mm. into the work that you're doing. You know, mm. now I'm going to do that. Now I've met you. Now you're my friend. Now you're yeah, my yeah, sister. Yeah. So now I'm going to get into the to the work that you're doing. Now I'm going to watch those reels and read those social media com uh, comments because I can see without having done that uh, for the last three months or so. Yeah, that's when I went. It was really amping up the cost yeah. based stuff in that time. Without having done that, I can still see that there's some meaningful thought. There's some beautiful, pure intentions. Uh, there is no virtue signaling. You are, a ge you seem to be a genuinely curious soul. Um, hats off to you. <laughs> Follow this lady on social media, people. I'm going to put those links in, uh, so in the description of this episode too. No, I, I, I believe. Well, well, again, back to what needs to be done to foment the change we're after. Well, networking. Okay. Uh, yes. I, I, I have this program. Uh, because I want to bring people like you, people who inspire me, people who motivate me, people who I think I can learn something from. I want to bring them in here. I want to talk to mm. them, let them bleed their information onto me, and I'm going to take that information and use it. So you're doing it too, well, in your I, own I, I, sort of way. Ab absolutely. Absolutely. That is the foundation of this program. Um, I, I say that the foundation of this program is, is it, it has a selfish intent because uh, I lost my son to a heroin overdose in 2019, John. November, November, 2019. Yes. Uh, and that was the catalyst that put me in this position that I'm in today because it broke me down. I lost my son to a heroin overdose 
in his mid twenties and he could have had so much of a life, but he couldn't, he didn't. So it broke me down to the point where I needed to find a new motivation, a new focus, a new purpose in life. And my beautiful wife, I hope actually that we wake her up so that you can meet her. Mm. I hope we're so loud that she wakes up. She's on <laughs> I am the, quite loud, she's on the, she's even by on American the, standards. So <laughs> no, but it sounds great on the microphone. So we like, yeah. it. no, but uh, um, if, if you get to meet her, I think you're going to feel that she just radiates goodness. Mm. I prop her up every chance I get because she is the one that told me, John, you need to find something to get you up out of this. Why don't you use your voice and see what you can learn? I'm she said that. I'm literally using my voice. And seeing what and you can learn. God, am I learning a lot. So I've been, I lost him in 2019, November 2019. I had my first episode in March of 2020. February, I'm sorry, February of 2020. And it's been knowledge, learning, new relationships. Mm. I have so many sisters and brothers now. Because I call everyone that has been on my show, they're, they're, they're in the club now. Yeah. They're a brother or a sister. Mm. And, and and uh, I do the best I can to take what I learn on these episodes and put it out there. So that's why you're here. Mm. Take that. Smooth out that dollar bill, cram it yeah. in the machine. There's another compliment. That is why you are here. Uh, I mean, for what it's worth. I'm not saying that now you're, because you've been here, your career is going to be ha, beautiful. Ha, ha, ha. But, I, but just know this, that. That I, I, you and I are like-minded. Mm, now that I could tell from the first time we got on the phone and we had to be like, we had to stop ourselves <laughs> and be like, we have to talk about this on the podcast. Yes. Like we can't. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so that's what this program is all about. And I believe that things like this program, things like the work that you're doing, that is what it's going to take to make this change happen, mm. to make this new awareness. Norway is such a beautiful country. There's so mm. many beautiful countries in Europe. Uh, you know, tone down your racist rhetoric or your anti-immigrant rhetoric, because that's two different things, anti-immigrant and racist. Yeah, that's two true, different things. true. Tone it down and listen to the ones that you believe are trying to damage or inadvertently damaging mm. your society, because there is so much to learn there and vice versa. They can also learn more from you, but they're not going to learn from you Mr. or Mrs. Norway, if you stiff arm them. And there's another element to it that Dialogue. I think Norway, even people that aren't racist, this is hard because um, I made everything. a sort of TikTok following about, because Norwegians love that I love Norway. Yeah. And I love Norway. And so do I. So do I. And I started getting a following there because I was debunking some cultural myths about Norwegians being rude. Yeah. And they loved having an understanding voice revealing yeah. themselves to other people yeah. and sidestepping stereotypes. Yeah. Well, but yeah. sometimes if I have some a critique of Norway, they don't like it as much. And so it's hard for me to say, but like, I think even the people who aren't racist have a tendency here to be sort of blithely unaware that there are problems in Norway. Yes. And very difficult for them to admit those problems, even in the face of clear evidence yes. of those problems. Yes. That yes. is something that I will very, uh, and I say it with a clear conscience, that is something that a lot of Norwegians need to work on. Yes. And until they conquer that, things are going to kind of be very difficult to change. Yes. And those changes will be to the benefit of the Norwegian society yes. as a whole. So please listen yes. to that, people. Like, don't hear that. This is what, like, I struggle so much because I've noticed if I say even the slightest little thing that's like Norway could improve in this way. You probably there's, get attacked. There's a lot of denial. Yeah. There's a lot of denial. Yeah. And 
I want to say like, see how you appreciated when I showed you this perspective of your own culture. Just, Just listen. Just listen. And I think that's another reason I'm like, a little bit um, uh, promoing Carpe so much is I worry that too many, in spite of what I've said they're doing, that too many Norwegians are hearing the message, hearing the clear evidence and going on about their business and not seeing the problem. And actually I've gotten, you know, of course people are complimenting me, so I don't know how indicative it is, but I've had a lot of Norwegians say that I, as an immigrant, Norwegian's my second language, I've made them think about the songs and their meaning. And I'm like, my brothers and sisters, the song (laughs) said, while you were in Disneyland, I was in Sudan and Kuwait with a like demilitarized vehicle. Like it's not, it's your Morshmol. It's not my mother tongue. That is so typical uh, that they just don't go into the message. And so this is another reason I'm doing what I'm doing because I see that Karpe is doing, they're doing the hard work. I'm not up there doing a show for 18 months, but are people listening? And exactly. that's what I can help because with. Because there's a lot of lessons there. And if you can help people to listen, I do believe that it can be real change. So yes. I think you're on the brink of something very, very meaningful. Do you really? I'm going to predict that. I'm going to prophesize. I you be- really? I truly believe that you are on the cusp of something. You, you, something really? big is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I felt this is, yeah. I want to talk to you about this because yeah, do that. Yeah. you're a musician. And so maybe you have some insight because I have felt that it's maybe it seems a little silly to some people because I love this group. And then suddenly I'm wrapping it into my research. Like, uh-huh. like maybe I'm just fangirling over here, but I think I believe that I loved their work because of what it was doing. And I'm working out. I don't know. Like, I think tell me were, more about what you're saying. Well, I think if you were just fangirling, then you wouldn't put it into your work. You would just make a social media post, but you're actually putting mm. this into, you are a professor and you are working towards a goal, uh, an educational goal, and you are incorporating their music. Now that's mm. powerful. Mm. That's a huge statement. That's beyond fangirl stuff. Mm. Um, I think music is a mover of society it always has been and it always will be and people think that that's gone now but it's not Mm. just because we don't understand these uh uh you know 15 16 year olds uh we're not supposed to really understand them but just because we don't understand them that doesn't mean that they're not moved by today's music do you see what I'm saying? Mm. And when music is such a mover of society, there's lessons to be learned in there. And that is a very, hey. and for you to bring that out, you're, you're attempting to bring that out and show it to the people. That is so meaningful because it's atypical. You're going to give, you're going to put a message out there in a different way. How many other professors are doing it in that way through studying uh, 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 music or a specific uh, uh, music group or a specific musician? You know, so you're very unique in that mm. sense. And then again, when we know that music is a mover of society, look at the 60s, the hippie, yes. hippie uh, uh, society back then and whatnot yes. is very, very connected to music. But I don't know that we stop and think analytically about how and why. And that is why what you're doing is so mm. doggone special. Because, oh, John. because educators don't do it in that way. Wow. Yeah. You're helping me think through, like, I'm literally going to go put this into my objectives in the well, grant because well, it's so not, well said. Well, because you're not doing, well, it's, it's, it's well thought out because as a musician and as a person who is uh, 
I guess, an activist and an activist in my way. An activist is a dirty word for some people. I don't think it is. We're trying to make society better for right. everybody. Uh, but as a musician and as an activist in my own right, I think about these things and I see that you have a very unique approach to fomenting change. You're not just a musician and you're not, or a, or a music fan and just a professor. You're a professor who is a music fan and you're incorporating both mm. of those things into your teachings. Mm. You're right on the edge of something big. Oh, I hope so. I do. I know you. I know it. I'm not wrong. Okay. <laughs> I'm be okay. So, I'll just take be, your confidence. I'm going to be so confident. I'm going to say, I know I am not wrong. You are on the edge of something big. I, you're, 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 you, are, you are attempting and you're going to succeed in educating in a unique way. Hmm. Do you know anybody else who's doing this kind of work as a professor here in Norway? Not in Norway. Well, there you go. Well, there you <laughs> Not go. in Norway. There you go. So you are in a very, very unique. I, hmm. I'm in a unique position. There is no pro. There is no black program leader in Norway. When I get, <clears throat> I'm going to say this. Talk about a position of privilege. I can admit this. I'm in a position of privilege in that not only do I have my own platform, uh, uh, I get called in to NRK. Do you? Prime I was going to I've, I've been on primetime news at 7 p.m. I've been on primetime morning news on TV2 several times. I've been on prime radio spots on um, different NRK channels, both local, regional, and national. That is a position of privilege. That is a special and unique thing. You're doing something special and unique. Special and unique opens doors. Mm. And those doors, when you walk through it, you can just pluck from the shelf and put it in your pocket. Or you can pluck from the shelf and put it out into the world. Ah, uh, yes. Do you yes, see what it. I'm saying? Yes. That's the position that you're in. You're about to walk or you are walking through a door now and you're plucking your own experience. You're plucking from the lessons within the music of, of, of the Norwegian rap group Carpe and you're putting it out there into the world as pieces of education. Mm. And it's beautiful and it's very unique. So speaking of- You and I are so like-minded. I know. It's, We're it's, totally different fields and yet yes. it's the same. We're almost It's the dialogue. It's, it's the di dialogue. Yes. Thank you. I mean, I said this in my book on COVID and how to overcome like vaccine wars and stuff. Like, it sounds so cheesy, but I was like, have a cup of coffee, like with the person who bags your groceries. Like they probably have yes. something to say about supply yes. chains, yes. you know, like just I, one of my biggest, like proudest moments, my husband hates that I do this, but occasionally back when Twitter rest in peace still existed. We like irritating our spouses though. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> he gets so mad. Um <laughs> I would get occasionally like hate messages on Twitter. Not, not very often, mm -hmm. but sometimes somebody would see something I said that was like very yeah. feminist or very liberal and yep. they would send me yep. and I would just start talking to them. And like in at least two of the four times this happened to me, they ended up apologizing to me and buying my book Well, <laughs> and well, saying like, because I was just like, I literally would be like, what's wrong? Well, and that's the power of sticking to facts, having a factual dialogue in the face of that, do you know what? I didn't stick to facts. Oh, you didn't. I stuck to feelings. I, I just said, like, oh. I care. Like, you're a human. You're so angry. Like, okay, I get what it. can yeah, I do? I get it. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. And literally one yeah. of them was like, yeah, man, well, honestly, I'm sorry. My brother died and I'm really a mess. Like, and they well, unpacked their stuff and then. <laughs> well, you radiated compassion and that's powerful. It's hard to do. And I don't think we sure have enough of it, I do. think. But um, I wanted to say, just going back to like cultural things in NRK, yeah. 
and maybe may, like lightening the mood a little bit as yeah. I know we're possibly, no, we've got plenty of time, but about I'll just- tw- About 20 minutes. Yeah, it's flying by. So yeah. when I had been here maybe four or five months, I got a like an urgent call and NRK was like, we need Kari. They were calling NTNU. And I was like, wow. how in the world does NRK even know I exist in this country yet? But it had secretly been because I was always a deeply nerdy child and I was brainwashed to uh-huh. love Norway from a young age. It had always been a secret dream of mine since 14 to be on yeah. NRK. So I was like, cool. this is so great. So I get on the phone. I'm like, what? Like, you want to talk about this book? You want to talk about this <laughs> book I did? And they're like, no, 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 no. We saw your TikTok. We see that you're an American. Uh-huh. We would like your op- opinion on Durek Verek. Dur- uh-huh. What's his name? Uh, D- Durek. And his last name? Uh, that guy. That uh, Verek? Verek? Yeah. Varen? Okay, can you explain who he is? He is a, uh, some people call him a mystic. Some people call him a healer. Some people call him a, a shaman. And he most is, importantly, <laughs> he's married. He's married to the uh uh, the prince, uh, one of the prince, or the princess of North. What's her name? Um, uh, mm. uh, Marta Luisa. Is that the right prince? I, I don't remember. care about royalty. I don't so. either. She's a, she's a Norwegian princess, the Norwegian princess, daughter of the king and queen of Norway. And this guy is a black American. Uh, um, a lot of people will allege that he is a charlatan. So allegedly, he's a charlatan. To be fair, he does say that kids that get cancer should have been happier and manifested positivity. Well, so I I can't forgive that. Like cancer kids will give that an amen. Seriously, (laughs) man. So the guy, I I I think the guy is 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 a weirdo. That's my opinion. No, this is so funny. They called me like they're like, quick, (laughs) somebody find an American. And like, he's from Los Angeles. He he tried to get established in Los Angeles. If I'm, yeah, it was just so funny to me this idea (sighs) of like being tokenized in a way, like which of course is a white woman. I am never, (laughs) but in this moment they were like. He's like, I'm writing how many books, right? And I think they're calling me for an expert opinion. They're like, no, no, no. We need you to tell us what an American thinks about him. And I literally, I was like, yes, because I wanted to be on NRK my whole life. But I get on the radio and I'm like, Hello. Yes, he's weird. I'm not special because I'm American. Like he believes he's a lizard. He's weird. Like I think most Americans probably think he's weird. But he do was, you know what I told them? Because yeah. I try to understand people. You talked about sure. your MAGA person. Sure. sure. I said, I think in America, you have to understand that we all have a crabs in a bucket mentality. Yeah. We're all just striving to like not go bankrupt the next day. Yeah. And there's a cultural sort of clout with uh, online currency, right? And and I think the dude, maybe he's a charlatan, maybe not. Allegedly. He, he allegedly. But also But he's really. just he's just trying to make a buck. This is yeah. a very American vibe True. to me. It is. It <laughs> like is. actually it is. He he's he's not that weird in America. There's no, a lot of him. He has some weird specific beliefs, but honestly, he's really just trying to get a big following by saying controversial things. I get it that he makes Mm. waves here in Norway. Good Lord, that's the king and queen's daughter. Yes. And and he's very outspoken in his weirdness. He was on Instagram uh, a couple years ago uh, selling, uh, I almost said trying to sell, but he was selling rocks. Great. And calling Why? them crystal healing crystals. Uh, he would bless it or something like that. Like if you, if, if it's. Um, oh, I forgot. Eye problems. rolls are not audible for the audience. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes so far. They're like stuck in the back of my head. YouTube watchers can. Uh, oh, yeah. They'll see it. They'll see it. No, but uh, he would like bless this rock so that it would be attuned to fixing your, uh, your, your obesity. Oh my God. He would bless this one in this way to help you with your 
uh, arthritis. You know, and it it was. It, I'm like. Really? It was so funny to me but that they were like, we need it. an American. We need an American. And I'm yeah, like, I'm pretty sure Norwegians 99% know of us. how to evaluate weird. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, <laughs> literally, I mean, I ha- I came up with stuff to say about the crabs in the bucket. But like yeah. my whole thing was like, yeah, he's a weirdo. Yeah. Um, first, I actually hadn't heard of him, honestly. They had to explain to me who he was. I shouldn't reveal this because I wanted to be on so bad. I was like, okay, I'll go do my homework <laughs> and like have something to say about him. But it's like, yeah, I got in the air. I was like, test, test, test. Okay. He is weird. Did that I come actually, through? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give a little reveal here. I actually approached his Norwegian publicist. He is a Norwegian publicist. I, I want him. Did, or he did at a time, at that time anyway. And uh, the message I got back was that he was just not available. But I wanted to have him on my show because the dude was just so doggone. I thought it was just, he was just so and, it, and the, the waves that he was creating here in Norway were so huge and people had such strong opinions. I'm like, I got to talk to this guy and get his story. How it, I know how everyone else feels about him, but I want to know how he feels about the situation that he's in. And, and it would have been, I think it would have been a great episode, but he wasn't, wasn't available. Really busy blessing. Rocks. Really busy blessing him. It probably is <laughs> like a. Dig them? I wonder if he digs them up himself or does I he have he an assistant. I hope he actually blesses or... them. Like I don't believe in the blessing, but if you're charging well, people be, for the blessing, be inten- it would be good intentions. <laughs> At least he blessed it. It's not just any rock. Hey, I blessed this oh, rock. My oh my lord. Uh, yeah, it, it was just so funny. And then they were like, the king also, he said that Americans don't know anything about monarchies. What he do you have to that. say? He, yeah. And yeah. I'm like. That is factually correct. Have you heard about the history of our country whereby we became who we are in defiance of a mo- Like, no, there was the nothing to say. There was I'll, nothing controversial about any of this. There's a lot of finger pointing from time to time. Uh, Norwegians love to point out American ignorance or so-called American ignorance. And I'm thinking it's quite normal that Americans don't know much about monarchy because of our history. Mm. And then that same Norwegian who will say that I don't know much about the the Norwegian monarchy, which I do, by the way. Ooh. I actually spoke with Crown Prince Håkon. I'll tell that story. Okay. Uh, maybe off camera. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you off camera. Uh, but but anyway, so so that same Norwegian that points out our ignorance about the monarchy, that same Norwegian will insist that there are fifty two states in America. So <laughs> come on, people. <laughs> you know it's yeah yeah. There's a lot to point at at us, but. Sometimes we can just hold up a mirror and you're pointing at yourself. Yes. Sometimes. But I don't want to bash Norway. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm not afraid to point out what's wrong in Norway, but I also point out what's good. We both live it. here. I've been here for 21 years. So and I how was like it? it? You've probably covered this on the podcast by now, so sure. I apologize if you need okay. to do short form. But what was it like to be back in America in 2022? <sighs> God, what day? Well, was what year? 2023. I was here just a couple months. I, yeah. I know. I forgot what year it was. Oh. <laughs> that was just. <laughs> come on. Come on, Claudia. 2023. Oh, 2023. <laughs> what was it like to be back there in 2023 okay. as a black person okay. after what we're going through experience. in America? It was a mixed experience. I'm from. Now, have you covered this on yes, the podcast? But I'll, okay. say it again. I'll say it again very quickly. Um, because it's a good question. I like talking about it because here's my observation. It was a mixed experience. I'm from rural Ohio. Um, it was a relief to see that nothing has changed in my area of Ohio. Ohio, red state, MAGA, Ohio. But in my little area, for the most part, nothing had changed. For the most part. In other words, the people were still very, very friendly. Mm. It was easy to pull a smile in a conversation 
and a kind word or humor out of the people that I would meet just out and about walking across a grocery store parking lot at the cash register in a restaurant, you know, those moments that I miss so dearly and that I were, I was afraid were gone. Mm. They're still there. Mm. Relief. But <laughs> now we flew into DC. Okay. Spent a day, uh, or we just spent the night in DC and then we got in our rental car and we drove from DC into Ohio. Now that drive from DC into Ohio was a nightmare. Um, I will not begrudge a Republican or a MAGA person their political beliefs. I begrudge them. You know, I, I will point out. The, I begrudge the, hatred. Yes. That's what I was going to get to. I, I will, I will point at that. But I don't begrudge on their political beliefs. However, you know, in other words, if you want to say fuck Biden, that's your right. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm not offended by that. Mm -hmm. But what I did, I didn't get offended, but it left a horrible, dirty taste in me to see while we're driving through because we deliberately stayed off of the interstates. I wanted to show the kids and, and Snoopy. I wanted to show them rural USA. Mm. So we're driving on these, you know, state highways and county road, this, that, and the other. And all of these houses all through Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio with these big, you know, nine foot by 12 foot banners saying, fuck Biden, flying in front of their house. The, 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 the vitriol and the, the hatred yes. and the negative energy that it requires yes. to fly something like that in front of your home. Yes was galling to me it was sad yes it hurt me in the sense that it didn't hurt me personally it didn't hurt me because i'm yes. left-leaning yes. it hurt me because my country has come to this yes i got really loud i'm sorry but <laughs> yeah. i think they they, they like i've got like... a compressor on that microphone so it pulls it oh, down keep man. on being loud that's okay no uh, no they, but they like I, I hear like um conservatives say sometimes like oh i love to like make liberal snowflakes mad that I, i'm like I'm not mad at no. kind of like, I'm kind of sad yes. that we're this angry yes. at each other. Yes. But I don't think we're that angry at each other because I think most of that vitriol, and I'm, I'm going to get eaten up in the comments on YouTube, but I think most of the vitriol and hatred, 90% of it is coming from the right. Do you know what somebody told me? And she was right leaning. She's my good friend. And I think I've tried to say this but I couldn't find as good of words as her. She says, the worst lie that we ever all believed was that none of us have anything in common anymore. Yes. Between the right and Somebody the left. Somebody told us that and we started to believe it. And who wins? The fucking politicians. None of whom, like, can we not get back to the good old days when well, we realized they were all crooks? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sorry, Donald Trump is more of a crook. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but like, there, none of them care about me. No. None of them no. care about you. There was this, there was this level let me say an accepted level of callousness and even criminality in politics. Yes. And then Trump came and now this open, blatant, criminal, racist, xenophobic, misogynistic thing, excuse me, is piled on top of that. Yes. And it's and that's changed. become the new norm. Yes. And that's changed our ability so to I relate to that. one another so as I humans. I saw that driving mm. these rural roads from DC and into Ohio. We stopped at uh, two restaurants. One where the waitress was just, you know, the YouTube people can see the look on her face. She was just like, can I take y'all's order? And she was just, it was obvious that, you know, she did the thing looking for me to Snoopy and me. She had an issue with the color of my skin. Uh, it, it was pretty disgusting. 
There was another right across the Pennsylvania border. This was on the way back from Ohio to D.C., right across the border, maybe 10 minutes across the border. I can't remember the name of the town or else I would call them out. (laughs) And I'm serious. It was a small town and it was worth, it's worth it to call them out because this was a, I now it's want like you to call movie. everyone out in it's just like, that tone of well, voice for well, me. Well, it's it's like it's like out of a movie. Uh, we walked in to use the bathroom, and we were probably going to buy something to drink or something. Um, first, the babies walk in, like maybe thirty seconds ahead of us, and then Snoopy walked in about five seconds ahead of me, and I came in last. And it's almost if there was a record player going, it would have been. And everybody in this restaurant, I'd say there's maybe 30, 35 people sitting there, mostly men. Every head turned and and all conversations stopped and they just stared. Now, you see on YouTube, the people know I'm a power lifter. I'm, I'm not a big tall guy, but I'm a big guy. I'm very muscular. I can take care of myself. But just put yourself in that situation. Forget about the physicality of it, you know, that there's 30, 35 people looking at you that way. What does that do to you emotionally, mentally, your image, your self, self-image? Uh, it, 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 like I say, it's like out of a movie. Everything stopped and they just stared at me as I walked by. And then same thing. And then I, I made sure I told the kids. I grabbed them before they went into the bathroom. We're walking out of here together. That's how threatening that situation was and of course i joked about it afterwards i said i was measuring the length of their beards because that gauges how racist they are when they give you that. <laughs> bigger the beard the more the more racist this is what i think i i want to joke people sort of get out get out earlier is that for whatever for instance that i may have gone through mm-hmm. in my life i always and maybe it's because i grew up with the friends from different backgrounds i don't know but to me it just seems so obvious to accept that i have never had to walk into a place and be maybe as a woman be terrified for my safety because people hate me and because of the color of my skin like i that does something so even as a woman it's not hatred it's just that they want to they want to take they want to take advantage of you because you're a woman it's it's different different. it it is totally different it's quite legitimate yes it's to be feared but it's a different topic but it's different yeah yeah, like i mean read a book like me as a literature professor like i've taught like antebellum era literature like read the things people are writing about what it does to your identity to be looked at that way and and here i am you know this isn't in written form this is to me it's even more direct because i'm telling you listener and viewer i'm telling you what happened to me it's 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 anecdotal in the sense that i'm Mm. uh, you know it's my own experience but do you really believe that i'm speaking to the listeners and viewers do you really believe that this is an uncommon occurrence for a black man in america because you had less of a statistical pool for that to happen to you. You were there Thank how long? You. Thank you. And exactly. it did. So you exactly. extrapolate that fucking data. Exactly. And I am socially mature enough to know that they weren't looking at me because they thought I was hot. No. <laughs> they were looking at me because they hated my guts. You grew up in America. You know. So I know. Exactly. But, but. And what gets me is that there are people out there on the right who will hear me tell a story like that and they'll immediately go to attacking it and breaking it down. So in in the interest of time, Cody, um, I want to ask you to do two things for me. This is what I ask all of my guests. I love podcast hosts that have like a thing at the end. that they. This this is my thing to to wind things up. Um, like I said, you inspire me, you motivate me. I know I can learn something from you. I already have. Likewise. Uh, thank you. Uh, and 
in that vein, can you say something into the camera for the people who are watching and listening, something that can inspire, motivate, push them along or carry them, Mm. pull them along in their journey through life? Everybody struggles. What can you say to them? Look in that camera right there, please. So something motivational? Yeah. Hmm. Something that, that they can take with them to help them through life. You are an educator. How would you educate someone who needs a little help in life? Because most of us need help. Mm. Go ahead. The, the, mic- the microphone is yours, and then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Well, I feel bad that I have to think a minute on this one. It's okay. And remember, no edits. So the longer you stand, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm really struggling to come up with. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, that is not an easy thing to do. I have these yet- phrases <laughs> like they're just it's like the seven dwarfs now that you've asked me. Let's do this. Let me let me let me flip it then. I'm going to ask you to do the last thing. Okay. First. okay. I'm going to say three words. Okay. And you finish the sentence. Okay? okay. One sentence. Cardi Nixon is. Relentless. Ooh. Relentless period or relentless comma. Relentless. Relentless. Now, and some people say that that's bad. No, <laughs> but- that's what I was getting at in the beginning when I said there's something about you about, you know, you, you came out of your trauma, you came out of your abuse, and you carried that load and it built muscles. It built emotional, mental resolve muscles, mm. relentless. I was right. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, that's a, this that's is a, fun. It just comes out of you. You just like blurt out with it. <laughs> like, and then, like, but, I think if I had had more time, I wouldn't have wanted to say that, but that's like what I think. And with intention, it's a very short and abrupt thing. You know, one sentence, you know, and you nailed it. I, th- I, I agree with you. I agree with you. You are relentless. And, and I think that's going to be the catalyst for your success. Mm. Um, being relentless demands strength. It demands focus. You know, relentless is not just relentless. If you had more time, you could have said relentless comma, and then all of these things, we would have had a discussion about resolve and mm. focus and yes. planning and self-image and all that stuff. Mm. Uh, um, so there's that. Now let's go back to the other thing. Okay. Can you now say yeah. something to everybody watching and listening? Yeah. So this might just be so cheesy, but it's what I think about a lot. We like cheese. Gotta have it. I think that deeply that everything we are and everything we've been through makes up particle by particle what we have to offer. Yes. And so even the things that in the moment have been horrible and the things that have like scarred me on a soul level have still allowed me to be the person that I think still gives meaning to other people on some small level. Yes. Whether it's your neighbor or your yes. dog. You, or your podcast host. Yes. So <laughs> if, if one little thing like the butterfly effect had changed in your life, you wouldn't be the contributor that you are. And I also, I think paired with that, this is a little bit spiritual, I suppose, but like, I really deeply believe that we are all here for a reason. And I don't mean like all of us. I mean, like, I think almost like on a matrix level, like yeah. each of us has a part in this chess game. Yeah. But I think we get to decide what that part is. I think we do. I don't think we're just moved along this path to be evil or like we don't get to choose. And so you can take all these particulate matters that I think, and I mean that like on an atomic molecular level, I think have changed you and shaped you through the good and the bad. And you get to decide what to do with that now. Yes. I like it. Take that. 
Maybe, maybe cliche, but that's what I. No, it's not cliche. It's it's very. Applicable. Does everyone say that? It's no, no. It's very. Does everyone say, everyone says that same thing? <laughs> Everybody. Does every to guest say this? <laughs> no, every every guest has their own version. You know, we all interpret motivation and inspiration in different ways. So I find it very. Uh, everybody comes at that question from a totally different okay, angle. Okay, that's so now I'm going to go listen. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's it's very it's very unique mm. what you just said. But ev- everybody comes with their own unique message to the viewers and listeners out there because we all walk different paths. Okay, I have to go listen to all yeah, this. Now. I love this. Love it. Everybody do that at the end of all of my, well, not all of my episodes, but I'd say the last maybe 75 episodes, roughly, uh, I ask my guests that, and it's always interesting, so everybody go and check that out. You could out. compile them someday. I'm going to. Mm. I do all my editing and stuff myself, so it takes yeah. time, but I'm working on that. I actually. thought you said there were three things that you give one word. You give I said three words, Cody. Nixon oh, is. I thought it was three questions. I was still waiting, oh, like a student for a three test. Words, was... Three words. <laughs> Okay. Listen, um, we're going to cut this short, um, unfortunately, but. We shall not talk about why. You, I told you not to ask me on the recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you travel to Oslo from time to time. Yes. And I want you to know you have an open invitation. Every time you're in this area, please let me know. Oh my and God. if we can make it happen, I'd love to have you back because I love That'd this. That would be great. We, we could talk this. for three more episodes, I, I think, I, at I least. Think, I think we could do that easily. <laughs> easily uh so you have an open invitation i think you're a wonderful person um uh i think the work that you're doing is is beautiful and like i said i think you're on the edge of doing something quite significant so i'm wishing you the best in the work that you're doing and keep me keep me informed it's going to be uplifting i know it is awesome thank you so much john i'm going to put all the links to your contact information Mm. out there so you might get some people hollering at you so uh come uh, find me check her out everybody she's quite the inspiration as you have seen and heard here thank you so much for coming thank you thank you all for listening and watching remember go to my website johnallenpod.com j-o-h-n-a-l-a-n-p-o-d.com And there you can find out how to support the work that I do. The best way you can do that is to like, share, spread these episodes around, and even better than that, buy my audiobook subscription. It's only five bucks a month. You get a new chapter out of my book every week for as long as I'm writing it. And listen to this voice. Just like, you want to hear that. My kids hate it when I'm yelling at them. (laughs) You're not. But check check out my uh, audiobook if you would please. It's only five dollars a month, and it does, but it goes a long way towards supporting the work that I do. And I think you'll enjoy the audiobook. It's me reading it. Um, it's my story, and I think you'll like it. So go out there, love and be loved, and enjoy the process. Thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs>